0: Episode forty-five of the AppAdvice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAdvice.net, and with me, as always, is Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice. In this episode, Trevor and I race away from giant, creepy monster babies while playing with tactile virtual toys and developing the next big app. How you doing tonight, Trevor?
1: Doing good. It was a surprisingly fun week with a bunch of G-named action.
0: It was a a nice varied week of, like, all different types of games. There was no, like, one genre that really reigned supreme.
1: Right. And before we get there, Apple made some news and released an iOS 11.2. So update your phone or iPad or whatever the case may be. It's a pretty substantial update. The highlight is Apple Pay Cash, but it's not available for a couple weeks. So the infrastructure is now in place on your phone, but Apple still has to actually roll out the payment processing and the iMessage app so you can use Apple Pay to send f- friends and families payments right within iMessage. Well,
0: I thought it was out in the U.S. now. I thought now it's they just rolled it out in the U.S., but it's for other countries that it hasn't quite happened yet. Uh, it's still not I available. I haven't
1: tried it. No, it's okay, still not yeah, available I... in the iMessage app yet. It, they're oh, still okay. rolling it out.
0: Yeah, because I haven't tried it yet. I know that it's it looks like a good alternative to like PayPal, where you can actually, if you're funding it via a debit card, so you have a choice of funding it via either a debit card or a credit card. And if you do it with a debit card, you don't pay any kind of fees to send the money or receive the money. Otherwise, there's a 3% fee for credit card uh, users. So it seems like a, a, I mean, PayPal does have that friends thing where you can send for free, but this seems like it could be a, a nice,
1: easy alternative. And if you get enough money, you can then use it as Apple Pay within apps, you know, because it ha- it's essentially a wallet where you have those funds that you've received in.
0: Right. It becomes a new card in your wallet the, it, and it acts as your Apple Pay payment source. I think you need like a minimum of a dollar if you're spending the money, if you're sending the money. If you want to cash out and you have under a dollar in your balance, then it lets you cash out. But then there's also like daily maxes and 7-day period maxes. I think like the max you could ha- send was like 10 grand in 7 days and the max you can have is a balance a transfer in a balance in 7 days was like 20 grand. I don't know who's keeping that kind of balance around right? unless you use this as like a business payment source it that seemed like a lot of money to have sitting in apple pay
1: yeah and just to be specific apple released 11.2 early because there was a bug in ios where on december 2nd for some reason ios devices crashed so they released the update on december 2nd but they hadn't activated apple pay so this morning that we're recording on December 4th, they actually activate it, so it's now available to be used. Though I think you can only send it to someone who also has App 11.2 installed.
0: Right, yeah, you have to have 11.2 to access it. I think it's only in the U.S. They haven't yeah, so far it out it's only in the U.S. Other yeah. countries.
1: Yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, it is a built-in alternative to Square Cash or Venmo or PayPal, and that convenience might be a selling factor, and then you have... If you've already integrated your cards into Apple Pay, it's that much less of a you know, restriction to set up and start sending money.
0: Right. You, you actually have to have Apple Pay set up first before you can even start using this. So they kind of work hand-in-hand hand with one another. It's just if you want to avoid the fees, you need to make sure that your Apple Pay payment source is a debit card and not a credit card.
1: Right. And so the more Apple does with payments and money and all that good stuff, I can't help but wonder if Apple could create a bank where it's just Apple Bank. Because there's no better way to make bank than to be a bank, especially when you're <laughs> Apple and you have all these devices, Apple Pay set up. Now you have Apple Pay Cash. If you release an Apple Pay credit card, and Apple Pay debit card, it's all integrated with all your Apple ecosystem. Apple would be making so much money and what else are they going to do with that $268 billion in cash and marketable securities?
0: Yeah, they put it in their own bank.
1: <laughs> yeah. Then it changes the whole uh, tax code and everything, regardless of 35% versus 25% for the corporate tax rate. Apple changes it when you have a bank to move your money around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is Apple News, iOS 11.2. Again, update your device. It's pretty stable and it- we are past December second, but it fixed that bug. And I think it fixed the bug we talked about last week of changing is and it to I period. Oh T. it did
0: it it might have. Yeah, the other big thing that they added to this uh update, the eleven two, was the ability to now use those faster seven point five watt uh wireless charging, which that affects the iPhone eight, eight plus and ten And so that means you can get faster than that little crappy little brick that comes with your phone uh, that only does five watt. Uh, I don't know if you really get that much more with the wireless, even though it says it goes up to the 7.5. I think there's some kind of restrictions really there where it's really not going to get noticeably faster, but... This is all leading up to eventually them supporting next year their own little power standard of the 15 watts uh, where you have to buy their their proprietary chargers for all that stuff.
1: One other thing that I completely forgot about is that there's new wallpapers in 11.2. So if you've seen (laughs) any iPhone X commercial and you have that, you know, it's kind of like a liquid sandscape that has a red-yellow or a blue-green, you can now include that on your device so it's a live wallpaper you know you touch and hold and you get to see that animation and it really looks good on the iPhone X that's the only advantage I've used so far in 11.2 since Apple Paycast just got set up
0: yeah I haven't tried that I haven't checked those out yet I'll have to take a look
1: and going back to the charging keep in mind that that requires you know there's nothing out of the box that allows wireless charging for your iPhone X or iPhone eight so it's going to be an additional accessory no matter what you pick
0: right yeah you ought to buy either a third party one of those chi chargers or uh wait for apple's thing next year which is probably gonna be insanely expensive and even a lot of those chargers when i noticed like they have mixed reviews so i don't know you got to really take it with a grain of salt when you start to dive into that whole thing i i am bothered uh but I guess at some point, maybe I'll look into it, but for now, I'm just happy enough to plug in it.
1: Yeah, I'm still sitting on the sideline for wireless charging too. And so that means it's time for some new apps. And the first one this week is Soundforest, which is an extremely accessible music maker that cuts down the barrier to entry to simply dragging objects onto the timeline on screen and you have a note playing. So... At the bottom you have all these different shapes so you start in the forest and you'll have like trees and rocks or various forest animals and each one has a unique sound so you simply drag from the bar out onto the timeline and you have a note playing right in sequence and then you drag the notes all around one another and you can build up a whole ornate kind of structured song with all these various notes just by dragging and dropping And then the app is going to include four different musical environments based on kind of the idea of the different objects. So you have a sound forest and then you have a jungle, a savanna or savanna and the ocean. And so there's going to be 160 musical notes in total split between those four environments. And the notes kind of mimic their region. So if you have a forest sound, it's going to be different than the jungle sound or the ocean sound. And they have the icons to kind of represent that distinction.
0: Yeah, I was just playing with this with my daughter, and it's super simple. It's just a matter of tapping, and then you can even preview what each of those little objects you have unlocked will sound like. So you have this bar on the bottom with all the various objects that you can scroll through. There's additional ones you can uh, unlock by watching a video, or you can just pay to unlock everything. But all you do is tap on that little item, to select it down below. You hear what it sounds like. Then you just tap anywhere on the grid that you want to put it, And then you can replace things if you want to switch around your sound. And then you can just double tap at the top to change the speed of your playback. So now you can kind of increase the tempo, see how that sounds, maybe slow it down. And it just keeps looping and looping. And you'll hear the changes almost immediately as it loops back around. So you can just keep on modifying your song and come up with whatever you want.
1: Yeah, the better you are of kind of playing it by ear and just finding a beat and a tempo just by you listening to it, the more at home you will be with this app. You know, it doesn't require musical notes or any kind of knowledge of various pitches and beats and tempo and all that stuff. It just, does it sound good to me? And you kind of tweak it until it does sound the best you possibly can. The one limitation is that everything's self-contained. You're not going to create a whole orchestra or anything and then export it out. It's all just kind of a fun music-making kind of pastime rather than something you're going to use and create it and send it into other programs.
0: Right, right. Yeah, this is just for fun and just fooling around. There's a little alien that kind of teaches you what to do. And then you get this cool little kind of forest, at least in the first uh, location, you get this kind of forest you've built up, which is your song as it goes through. So not only do you get the song, but you also kind of get this thing to look at, which is all unique to whatever your song happens to be. And I'll have trees and rocks and butterflies and whatever else you happen to have put in there.
1: Yep. And so the app is free and then there's a $1.99 in-app purchase to unlock everything, but the jungle is fully available. It's just, you can unlock more different type of notes. I think each region, at least I experiment with two of the four regions, those were available. And I think the, part hidden behind the paywall is more ornate notes so you'll have deers and birds and insects tied to different notes that are available in the in-app purchase.
0: Yeah I every one I clicked on it it, so far it said I could unlock it by watching a video but I assume at some point there's going to be certain ones that you can't just quickly unlock with the video but I haven't gotten that far
1: into it yet. And here's an example. (laughs) and so that's SoundForce. it's free and it's universal and that means it's time for some new games and the first one this week is game dev tycoon so rather than just talking about other games you can make your own game and so this doesn't require any coding knowledge you're not going to export anything it's essentially puts you in the shoes of being a game developer to care kind of what goes into it and then the titles and the way the theme and the genre match up, and it's essentially the spiritual successor to game dev story from kairosoft that released probably five years ago by now where it was that game was a japanese-made super 8-bit pixel art version with kind of really on the go based gameplay quick sessions but you still had quite a bit of simulation kind of variation game dev tycoon takes that structure And really builds upon and expands it so there's a lot more going on you have a whole new kind of set of options as you go into it but the core structure is you start in your garage and then you only have to pick what uh, genre you want and then what type of game theme you want so you can pick space and action and then there's three stages of development where you can then focus you have sliders to kind of decide how you want to focus if you want to focus on the gameplay or you want to focus on level design or s- graphics and sound and you have those choices each game that you make and then as your little coder is going along you see these little bubbles go up to the top of the screen and that indicates how much kind of technological technological skill and art and resource skill you have and the combination is your final game you'll get reviewed and then it goes for sale and you get into the cycle of creating new games and then having them go for sale. And then as you earn money, you can then invest in your own kind of game development kit. So you can have your own graphics engine and sound engine and all these special features as you upgrade. So you can make better and better games and keep processing into that cycle. until so you move out of the garage into an office. You're able to hire new staff and you just keep building up an entire game development company
0: yeah so this basically took like the what game dev story did and really just put it on steroids and made everything that much more depth and within the gameplay like you said where you just start out at the beginning and it's super it's fairly simple where you're selecting just that genre and the type of game you want to make but then you start to learn as you you do those little sliders of should i focus on the story on the dialogue or the ai you start to see how that affects your game sales And part of that thing that you can do with the money you earn is to go and research uh, customers to see maybe what kind of game customers want, or you research to find out more about the genres of games to say, oh, this is a winning combination of genre and type of game. And so you start to learn what you're able to sell and what's going to make you the most money, and that's what you want to invest in. and. While meanwhile, even while you're trying to make your games, you need to have money in order to build that dev kit or do all this research. So then you pull on all of these other uh, side jobs that you try to pull off, and maybe you don't. And if you don't pull it off, you lose some money. You get fined for not completing the job in time other other times you're good and then you'll earn this influx of cash if you start to really run low on cash you can borrow money but then you have to pay that back in a year it really does an amazing job of really kind of putting you in this mindset of a game developer and it's not easy once you start diving in there's so many moving parts that you you got to figure out where should I focus, what should I do, and maybe this new Nintendo system, they don't call it Nintendo, but you know it's the NES, or the Sega Master System comes out. Like They follow everything through the timeline starting in the 80s of these new platforms, and should I switch over to this new platform? It's going to cost me a bunch of money to get the license to be able to develop for it, but I can make a lot of money because this is the next big thing coming down the pipe. So you're always constantly trying to balance balance of where do i spend my money is it best to research go for the next thing or do i just go and build that next game to get an influx of cash hopefully it'll do well maybe i picked wrong and no one wants a romantic rpg but you never know
1: (laughs) yeah there's so many different moving parts like you said it's always a constant balancing act of where do i focus because as a game developer, you know, from the outside, you're like, oh, how come you're making just like this sellout game? Well, maybe it's because we need money because our last game flopped. It was like super awesome, but no one bought it. So now we have to make like a city simulation game that we it was successful in the past. So we're going to use it again because we know that formula works, even though it's practically the same game. Or maybe we'll just make another version of a game that you've played. And then you can always decide to invest in making multi-platform or specific sequels. Like say you had this space shooter that did really good. So now you can make that sequel and it might not be as good. So you have that initial bump, but then if the reviews are bad, your sales aren't going to have that same trajectory as the original game. The reviews are really key in this game because it's still in like that 80s, 90s mindset. You build your way up. So you'll get onto the PS, the PlayStation, and then PS2, PS3, the iPhone will come along and now you have that different mobile development idea. And so you're proceeding along in the timeline and the game consoles do kind of as well as they do in the real world. So when the Nintendo GameCube comes along, it's probably a good idea to stay away from it and just focus on (laughs) PS2 licensing and development. And so you want to keep kind of making your company as strong as possible to be able to withstand games that fail. Because you always want to kind of try to go out on a limb and try new things. But you always know that city simulation or action shooter or I mean action space. Those games are going to sell. They're going to do well. So it's a really tough balancing act of trying to create new games. Because if you make the same type of game kind of consecutively or really close together. That will also be a failure. So if you find a game that works. You make it again. It's going to do really bad. So you always kind of got to try to experiment but that's easier said than done because you can go bankrupt in this game and then it's game over and you have to start back from the beginning or any save point that you pick
0: yeah i i I, the repeat genre my romantic adventure game did surprisingly (laughs) well and then i tried to make another one i'm like why not i just made it for a different platform but they said i was a sellout that people just thought i was releasing the same game over again it it felt like real life reviews like the type of stuff you would really see people complain about Uh, really my only complaint with this game was the fact that you can't go and rename anything so like i accidentally mistyped even my own name in there (laughs) and i couldn't change it and then i one time i was just tapping and i accidentally just went to the next screen and then my game was just called game number two and so I, I couldn't go back and rename the game. So it, there were a couple of like just UI things that I it kind of, little annoyances, but otherwise this, there's so much with this game that it feels like that next step from game dev story. And it, I like the amount of depth that's in the game because it does add to the realism and makes you make choices that you didn't really have to do with game dev story.
1: Right, and it's easy to get lost just in that cycle of always something to do. As soon as your game comes out, you can get that game report to find out what did well, what didn't do well, and then you might want to train up your employees or get started on that next game because you get a little bulletin that the PlayStation 3 on the horizon, but you already spent a bunch of money on your PS2 license, so you want to get a game out on it to get as much money from that existing console because you know it's going to be discontinued. So you have that constant time pressure even though this game is going to span like 30 40 years however long you kind of played that in-game time so you always have something to do that you can just get lost going from game to game and just always in that cycle of doing something
0: yeah, like with that time pressure, you you even feel it while they're developing the game because you see the time ticking away and you know if you hit another month, you're going to be shelling out another eight grand to pay off your employees. So you want them to be developing this thing as quickly as possible. So as soon as the game is ready, you want to hit publish, but you also have to watch out because you see the bug count going up as they're developing and then as once they're done developing the bugs start to count down but as soon as that game is ready you just want to get it out so that you can start making money on it because you know you have these upcoming bills because the time is just ticking 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 away
1: and then you also have all those different research things because You know, as you you kind of plateau at a certain point of, this is how good of a game I can make. But if you add staff, you can potentially have higher scores for the games, but then that's going to cost more. And then as time goes on, and you're still using the 2D uh, graphics kit, that doesn't look as good as that new 3D graphics kit that's on the horizon. But to get that, you have to use all your research points and a whole bunch new monetary investment, and then that's going to put you maybe in the red or give you tough decisions later on so they've just done a really good job to kind of mimic the real world constraints and put it in game form where it's still fun it's enjoyable but you have those tough simulation decisions where you'll always kind of be intrigued of what you can do how you can change how far you can push the game
0: yeah yeah yeah. they've done a phenomenal job
1: Yep, and so that's Game Dev Tycoon. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. And hopefully it gives you kind of a insight into what... You know, we talk about all these different games and developers, what they have to go through and put in to get that final thing you have to play. Yeah, I'm glad
0: I'm not a game dev. <laughs> After playing that, I don't know how they stay in business.
1: Yep. And so next up is Nog. It's spelled G-N-O-G, and it's a... It's funny if you were playing Game Dev type coon, you would pick theme abstract and genre adventure. So it's abstract adventure, and it's a kind of like a three D interactive toy where you have these monster heads, and you're not getting ev- given any kind of tutorial or instructions. It's just a hands off. Here you go, try to explore and figure out what to do, and so you start m- just interacting and trying to find out the clues and open up doors. And just anything you can by tapping the screen and doing various things. And each head has a specific theme. So you start with this nature head, but then you'll go over to a music head, or you'll go to this eatery head. And you have to, each theme is fully intertwined into the given head, and you have to figure out how everything goes together. The music one has all these little intricacies of figuring out, tapping on the right buttons or flipping the right switches so that the proper tune goes through to match up the colored sequences. And you just have to figure it out. They've done a great job of being completely hands off and then yet on the flip side, you're not like, oh, I don't know what to do or I can't do anything. It's still easily accessible and just, I mean, this game could appeal to pretty much all ages with that no barrier to entry, not as super complex, but still intriguing and challenging enough to keep you completely compelled.
0: Yeah, this is one I saw at PAX East two years ago, I want to say. And they, they first, they were aimed to release it first on PS4, and then they were going to bring it to mobile platforms. And that first puzzle is fairly straightforward you can figure it out fairly easy then you go to that music puzzle and i was playing and my eight-year-old daughter was there next to me we're trying to figure this thing out and that one is so much tougher than that first puzzle of just trying to figure out exactly what you need to do to meet the the various things so you're tapping and swiping and flipping the thing around moving cord, little cables around you're doing the switches and the music's changing but the, because there's no instructions you don't know totally what you need to do i mean it's sort of intuitive because you can kind of figure out oh these things are glowing i that mu- i must need to meet this certain parameter to get that and so they kind of give you hints but they don't outright tell you exactly what to do so it is a lot of exploration and just trial and error and just seeing what things do and because these are such like ornate 3d kind of worlds almost each in their own you'd love to kind of just fool around with it and just see what everything does and you can't help but want to tinker with every little bit of it and just see what happens and so then things start to click and then you figure out oh okay that must be what I have to do and then you keep on reaching those little victories that kind of guide you to the next point and to the next point until eventually hopefully you solve the puzzle and can move on to the next one
1: it's really funny how they balance completely oblivious nature and developing to like full on this is what you have to do and those hints like you said they're there but they're not obvious it's kind of like part of the scenery is actually a hint you don't realize it until kind of you figure out the puzzle that that little portion in the background is actually a key contributor to figuring out what's involved I made it a few monster heads in and I've reached one where I have no clue what I'm doing or how I'm (laughs) going to end up finally figuring it out but With that said, I still want to figure out. The game isn't frustrating to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not playing this anymore. You still want to figure it out just because it's such an ornate 3D world with all the visual and sound effects that you're given to just um, be immersed in the game and just take your time and be patient. It's not a rush through it. It's just exploring. You kind of want to just tap everything that you possibly can on the screen just to see what happens.
0: Right, yeah, it's this beautiful, cartoony, three D, like almost alien-like world that you're going through, and it's just beautiful to look at. And then the fact that you can manipulate it and play with it, and then just there's the whole
1: audio piece that goes with it as well. It's just a really beautiful game. Yep, and so that is Nog. It's G and O G, and it's four ninety nine, and it's universal. And then next up is Grid Autosport. Which came out the Thanksgiving week, and so it was kind of after the influx of those games, so it fit right in between the two weeks, so we're going to talk about it this week, and it's a realistic racing simulation game, it's obviously comparable to Real Racing Series, and then eventually Real Racing 3, but that game came out a while ago from EA, and... The updates haven't you know, changed the game engine. They haven't changed the gameplay. It's still the same game. There's just more to play through. So Grid Autosport is pretty much the first realistic simulation game we've seen on iOS in a couple years now, especially in terms of how ornate and deluxe the 3D graphics engine is. And, of course, that's what you want to see in your racing game. So then you can actually get in and play it and view all the realistic cars and how well the 3D modeling is. And then you have races of 16 cars. There's a whole five different careers to play through with multiple cups to compete in in the different races. And when it comes to realistic racing, that means that you're going to have to be concerned with your momentum, your speed, braking as you go around curves, focused handling, interacting with the different cars. You know, arcade racing is the game where you jam the accelerator and you try to get to the finish line by any means necessary. Who cares that a break even exists? Realistic (laughs) racing games are the ones where you do have to care about every single corner because if you take it too fast, you're going to spin out and you're going to lose the race. Pretty much one messed up corner and you're not going to win the race. So you really need to be focused and attentive through the entirety of the race. And they've done a really good job of nailing that realistic racing simulation.
0: Yes. Normally I tend to lean towards the arcade racing just because I am not good at arcade racing. I've tried them before and this one feels like a console quality game. Like I recently, for the first time ever, I tried the Forza series. I tried the demo on the Xbox and this has that same kind of setup and feel and the graphics on this look absolutely phenomenal. And It's like you say, it's just like you said, where you need to be focused on those turns. You need to make sure you're making the turns. It does, if you have one of the easier levels set up, then it kind of gives you a guide of where you want to position your car which i found super helpful to know where i really want to be on the track in order to really make the most of my momentum and not lose it all when i try to turn and make these sharp turns or maybe it's not as sharp but still you got to make sure you're not bumping into the other cars and damaging your car the one thing that I really loved about this game, I think I, I, I saw it on Forza as well, you have this whole rewind thing. So if you make a m- mistake and you mess up, you're not out of the race, because that's the biggest thing I, I've always hated about the more the non-arcade racing, where there's really no way to catch up if you really mess up. All the other cars are way ahead of you. This lets you basically you hit You tap the button, and you start to rewind everything. And so then you can choose the point where you want to restart the race. And now you get a chance to do over. So it rewinds back, and maybe you you miss that turn, and you know that if I could just line myself up a little bit better as I'm coming into that turn, I'm not going to mess it up. So then you rewind back enough to where you think you're going to have plenty of time, you start the action back up, and you're back in it. And now you know maybe I need to turn a little bit faster. Maybe I need to lay off the accelerator to make that turn. You make the turn and now you're on and you're still within the, the group of cars in the race. You're not completely left behind and never going to catch up. So I found that super helpful. Uh, A lot of the things they have, the optional things for people that maybe don't play this type of racing game as often.
1: Yeah. That rewind button is one of the, best features of the game because like I said at the top one mistake can lose you the entire race but when you can rewind you can make up for that one mistake. Realistic racing game isn't my cup of tea. I will always prefer an arcade racing game because I like chaos and craziness and all kinds of stuff happening on the course and I'm too impatient to care about breaking in any of that stuff but I can fully respect and appreciate this game and how well it's made and how well it nails its core idea and focus. And one kind of key factor is that Real Racing 3 is free to play. Grid Autosport is $9.99 and that's it. You pay one time, it's your entire game. There's no in-app purchases. There's unlockable downloadable content that's all for free. But the full game is there for $10. And it's not going to compete with Gran Turismo on PS4 or Forza series on Xbox One. But it does do a good job of competing on those series on the PS3 and Xbox 360. It's probably a generation, you know, console comparative, a generation behind. But it's pretty damn good to be having it on iOS.
0: Yeah. And and if you are someone who's like way better at these type of games than we are, you have this whole scalable difficulty you can do where you can make it. So you have to be shifting. You have to be doing all this on your own. If you prefer that type of gameplay, then go ahead. The nice thing, it also does support MFI game pads. So I have the um, whatever that. one that slams on either side i can't remember what it's called the game vice and i have that for my ipad and i actually found that super nice to help me control a little bit better than using like tilt controls for turning and everything where that game having that gamepad felt like you're playing on a console like it gave you the physical controls that you're used to and so to have that option was great i know not everyone has those but if you do have one uh, you can use it on the game to give it that same sort of tactile feel that you're used to in these type of games, which some people definitely prefer. But if you, the fact that it only costs you $10 and you never have to worry about these nickel and diming in-app purchases, it's a massive game to download. Like I think it ends up being 8 gigs of space on your device, so you need to have a lot of room on your device. But to know that you just have to pay $10 and you get... A ton of content. I think there's over 100 cars and 100 different circuits you can do. And it's amazing the amount of content that you get for $10. This game on any other platform would have cost you close to 60 So to pay just that 10 and never have to worry about things keeping you from playing anytime you want or having to buy new cars or anything, it's all there, good to go right from the start.
1: And so that's Grid Autosport. They've really set the new standard of what you can expect in terms of 3D graphics on iOS, how much content you can get for $10, and just when you're there driving along on the course, you get to be fully immersed in the details they've provided, the various tracks, all the items just to the side of you, not the other cars racing next to you. The only kind of hiccups I had were the on-screen or the touch controls. Like you said, MFI controller is a definite benefit for this game because the tilt controls, it never seemed to be as precise as I needed it for a realistic racing game. an arcade racing game, you can get away with the tilt being a little off. And then I tried the on-screen virtual wheel, and that kind of was a hiccup because then the accelerator and the brake are on the same side of the screen, and i you know the brake is up above i never seemed to reach high enough to press the brake when i wanted to so that messed me up as well so if you do have an mfi controller it definitely helps out this game
0: yeah yeah i never tried the virtual uh stick controls i only did the it went from the the tilt to the mfi and the mfi is definitely how i want to play this
1: yep so that's grid auto sport it's 999 it's
0: universal And next up is a game called Neverending Nightmares. And this is kind of like a psychological horror game. It's all done in this weird black and white style that looks almost like hand-drawn, and it kind of gets messier and messier as you go. And what it does, the game follows this guy, Thomas, and he kind of wakes up in his bed, and he has this nightmare. And I don't want to reveal too much of the story, but... It's basically he sees someone getting killed, and then he starts to wander around this house to try to find this person and save this person. And so he starts to walk around, and he'll go around for a little bit. He'll search, and weird things will happen. Like, it starts raining on lightning, and you start to feel like you see ghosts, and you go in. There's creepy things all around. And then all of a sudden, something will happen, and it's either he gets attacked or he gets killed or something, and then he'll wake up again and he's now back in his bed, but is he dreaming still, or is he awake? And now you're kind of going through the house again. Now things are creepier or more disturbed, and you're just constantly going through this loop until you can kind of figure out what's going on, and you're constantly facing, like, new creepy creatures and things as you're wandering through the house. You never know when something's going to, like, jump out and scare you, or if you're going to have to try to run away from something, and... Everything's all in this like, black and white style, except for the things you can interact with are actually in full color. So like maybe the doorknobs, so you know which doors you can open, or maybe there's an object so you can tap on, or there's blood or some other thing that you know is something you can interact with or at least look at within the game.
1: Yeah, they have the whole black and white kind of pencil sketch st- setting or theme, art style, And then those color points. Like you'll see a crow smack against the window and there's the blood splatter. So that red blood really stands out rather than sitting within a color scene. And I had a tough time getting into this game just because it wasn't like the usual pacing game I would expect from this kind of adventure, like horror survival adventure style. But I still respect how much time went into it because just... I don't know if this is giving it away but the description says the developer has their own battle with mental illness and the game tries to depict that and just you know from the early 15 minutes of the game you can fully see that these nightmares aren't just like some fantasy creation but are based in you know real actual experiences.
0: Yeah so I mean I I really got into this I, there were certain things I I found kind of Uh, slow and repetitive but as far as the story went and they set the scene with creepy music and i i i wanted to see where it went the problem i had was you move like a snail's pace as you're walking through this so you're walking downstairs at some point and it takes you probably a good 10 to 20 seconds to walk down a set of stairs and it shouldn't like there's nothing that's going to happen on the stairs. Just walk me down the stairs a lot faster. I know you want to build up suspense, but just get me down the stairs so I can move on to the next area. And so then there'll be a lot of repetitive things. And I understand where they want to do that with the story, but you can walk down like an entire corridor for maybe a minute's worth of walking or two minutes and nothing happens. And so I know they don't want to tell you when things are going to happen and not, but still it felt like I was just going down the same stuff over and over again. And there are points where you do need to run and you can run in the game, but you have this limited kind of, you tire out. So then he kind of slows down, but the running was really hard. It didn't seem responsive enough. So there are like certain sequences where you have to run away from these big, creepy creatures and if you don't time it just right, they catch you and you're going to start that that sequence over. They do do a really nice job with the save points, so you never have to go back too far. But I just felt like I was fighting the controls as far as getting the running going. And right now, I've definitely been through one whole first beat of the game. Now I'm in the second one and I'm about done it, but I'm in a sequence where I can't really figure out how I can get around this thing without it killing me to restart the whole sequence over again, and so that's kind of annoying. Because, I mean, I feel like I should just be able to run away, but I can't. And I, I'm guessing that maybe there's a third act after this, but I'm not positive. But it's not a terrible. If there's not, it's not a terribly long game. But what's there is pretty good. But I just feel like it's it's missing something. It's just, there's parts of it that are just a little too slow that they could have tightened up, but maybe they did this to make it a slightly longer game. Otherwise it would have been too short.
1: Yeah. That's, I think why I couldn't get into it. Just the overall pacing, the way the pace and the slowness of the characters movement. And just if the game had any type of breadcrumbs to lead you on to the story, to the better points as you're monotonous, just the monotony of going through from corridor to corridor. you open doors. It's like, am I even going in the right direction? Did I miss something? Am I doing anything right that will get to an actual payoff? And so that's why I couldn't get into it.
0: Oh, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Wait, wait did I go through a door that's actually going to bring me somewhere? Cause I've been walking down this corridor for way too long and not seeing anything. Am yeah. I walking in loops or am I going to see something? And eventually I, From what I could tell, you couldn't really end up walking around in a loop. Pretty much the way you have to go is the way you have to go. Uh, And then you know when you hit one of those things, it's going to cycle you back around because you wake back up. And then they always put you in the place you need to be when you wake back up. So I didn't... I, I have that feeling of, am I going the right way? But I don't know that you actually can go the wrong way.
1: Sounds good. So, you know, with the, with these type of games, they could use a better balance. This game, it reminded me of the one we talked about last week that was black and white. Uh,
0: What was that thing called? White Knight.
1: That's what it is. Yeah. So it did remind me of White Knight. It had a similar pacing, a similar am I doing the right thing to actually progress the storyline, similar art similar style. Similar
0: slow walking
1: person. <laughs> I couldn't get into either <laughs> of them. <laughs>
0: but... I got into this more than White Knight. I did, I did get into this more than White Knight. I'll give it that.
1: Yep. So Neverending Nightmares, it's three ninety nine. It's universal. And then to round out the week is Hoppenhelm, which is a quick-action, platformer, dungeon-crawler kind of match, mashup where it's really designed to play on the phone in quick bursts. It's has that Endless Runner vibe where... You have this knight and you just hop from platform to platform. The platforms are right smashed next to each other. And you have the option to either jump, attack, or block. And so as you go, you'll have these spikes that pop up. So you need to time it to get past. Or you'll have these enemies that you need to get rid of with your sword. There's secret doors. There's fireballs that come at you from left to right. And then there's also blocks that come and cascade down on your head. And then there's platforms that fall away. So you have that timing aspect of you need to keep moving. It's not like, let me take and wait forever for these spikes to clear so I can get the just right timing. So you always have that time pressure to keep moving forward. And then there's not the essentially a lot of wasted movement or time in between steps. Every single move forward counts as one point. And there's potential danger with each one of those steps. So you always have something to consistently focus on. And it all has that retro art style. And one of the best parts is actually the in-game soundtrack. So it's like a retro-inspired dungeon crawler theme with a little kind of heavy rock tones mixed in. And it just really fits the game in the way there's multiple ways to die. And then the time pressure... And probably the best part is that even though it's an endless runner, it actually gives you a heart system so you can mess up. It's not like one mess up and you're done with the game. And then you can earn coins as you're proceeding through the game. And those coins can unlock new characters as well as new weapons. And at first I thought they were just cosmetic changes. But the first character I unlocked has an additional heart. And the first weapon I unlocked has a critical hit potential. So everything that you're going to be able to unlock in the game is actually going to change the gameplay so you can make it further through Hoppenhelm.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like a roguelike setup where those upgrades that you've kind of gotten in the form of those new weapons, they carry with you. So your next attempt, you might be able to get further now because of that better thing that you have.
1: Yeah, it's like the game from Natromi that we just talked about. From last week, except it's better. Yeah, (laughs) whatever that one was called, Tower Fortress. I (laughs) like,
0: yes, yeah. So I, I like the um that little TNT block that you jump on in this. Where now it like lights up multiple blocks around. So not only do you have to get through that block pretty quickly, now there's a a few blocks that you have to try to go through quickly. Kind of like a little bit worse than the falling away platform setup.
1: Yeah. They have some nice kind of variation in the obstacles. After you play a couple times, you've seen everything the game does have in store. But then you have a better idea of the pacing and the timing. And I just like a game that combines enemies as well as platform obstacles instead of just one or the other. And then, like I said, Tower Fortress had a really kind of slow, methodical pacing despite the structure of the game. And this one, it just seems to amp everything up. Like you even feel more time pressure than there actually is, because there's lava that will rise up if you just sit in the same spot. But just you always want to be moving forward, not necessarily because you're gonna die, just because you get into that rhythm and pacing of hopping from step to step. It's kind of like the game Get On Up, or you know, that's the third one just came out two weeks ago.
0: Oh, Get On Yeah Yeah Yeah. I know it's fun in Yeah, Get On Up called? Three or something. Yeah. I,
1: is that what it was called I'm
0: pretty sure that was
1: called yeah so the third one made it 3d but that game really focused on rhythm based pacing just because you hop from platform to platform to platform and this game has that same idea just extracting out the rhythm component yeah and so that's yeah I haven't help. really
0: played much of this but yeah. I'm definitely gonna check it out
1: If you like just that kind of quick action style, because we've seen a million, billion, probably there's a billion apps or whatever in the app store, 500 million are quick action games, but this one still finds a way to stand out and be compelling, even if you've played a ton of those, just because you have that heart system, you can make multiple mistakes, and you have that really good pacing to want to get better because you have that roguelike setup. Yep. That's and Helm, it's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 45. Yep, that's all I got. Brett, thanks for joining me. Oh yeah, pleasure as always. to everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.